0: Hello and welcome to Grow Up and Talk. This is Alex, and we believe that eternities are changed when Jesus' followers grow up in their faith and talk about it. One of the ways that we're doing this at Messiah Lutheran Church is by going through this three-year Bible reading plan, reading God's Word according to that plan, and then having other people join in the conversation and talk about those things that we read so today on the show, to help me talk about God's Word, is Sam Fink. Sam, tell us who you are.
1: Okay, well, Alex, uh, I am a pastor. I serve in a place called Orchard Park, New York, a church called St. John's. Orchard Park is a southern uh, suburb of Buffalo, New York. If you if the name sounds familiar, it's because the Buffalo Bills play football about a mile from, uh, from our church doors. So, uh, uh, that's where I am. I, I did I actually got to do my vicarage here back in seminary. And so I've served here just, uh, well, about a year and a half now after seminary did my vicarage here. So about two and a half years of our life have been spent here now. I grew up in Michigan, uh, married to a girl from North Dakota. My wife, Kelsey and I have four kids, uh, here in Orchard Park with us, seven year old down all the way down to a one-year-old. Nice. And, um, yeah. So it's good we uh, uh life is weird today here in Orchard Park. I don't know about where you are with our coronavirus virus cases are on the rise. Oh really? And uh yeah, uh we're like 6%. Anyway, they have a new rule that uh restaurants can't have people uh groups of more than 4, which means we've been so prolific, we can't go out to eat anymore. <laughs>
0: Oh, I found that very funny, Um, but um, yes, which is a good lead-in. I I thought you would. Yeah, I know you did, (laughs) which is a good lead-in into uh, the book that we are covering today, which is Song of Solomon, Um, but anyways, uh, just a real quick, Sam, you actually have a bit of a connection to the Hawkins family. That's here at Messiah slightly because you as- attended a church in Michigan that I think was what was the church you attended? It was Saint
1: Saint Luke Saint where I Luke,
0: grew up. and the Hawkins family before they came here to Bernie attended that church. So that's right. Shout out there, Small Lutheran World, and Sam and his wife Kelsey are um, builders of the kingdom. So, thank you, uh, very. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Sam, for being on the show today and being willing to go through an interesting book of the Bible today. We're covering the readings from November twenty-first through the twenty-seventh, and this covers the entire book of Song of Solomon, which is chapters one through eight, and then we'll also kind of tag along at the end Proverbs one through two. But first, we're going to focus mainly on Song of Solomon. Let's do a quick overview of what's going on here. I'll give a quick summary. Song of Solomon, otherwise known as Song of Songs, is a collection of love poems between a man and a woman, and there's a lot of debate about who the man is, who the woman is, and there's even some debate about like what it represents as well and how much of it is actually literal versus figurative because it is poetic language. So it has to be kind of read in that poetic light, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit. It does celebrate... Um, the sexual relationship that God intends for marriage between a man and a woman. And it's kind of this experience that they're having and their communication with one another. And the events in this book may not be chronological. They might be flashbacks. They might be um, things that they're imagining with one another. The, the main lover might be Solomon or the, the man might be Solomon. Um, the It might be just between a man and a woman that's unknown and Solomon is referred to in the book. We don't really know those things for sure, but it is an interesting book that displays this relationship between a man and a woman. And it's often pointed to, um, the, uh, parallel of Christ relationship between him and his church because we as the church are called the bride of Christ. So that's kind of an overview of what the book of Song of Solomon is. Um, some debate if it was written to Solomon or Solomon wrote it. I don't know if we really know that or not, but let's go into the things that stood out to us. So Sam, what are you thinking at this point?
1: Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I, I would just say, uh, uh, the thing that stands out the most to me is is just the intimacy of this relationship that's described for us. No matter how you look at it, and I I tend to be one who reads this with Christ and His Bride, the Church, in mind. I don't um, can't really get away from that. It's just such a you know it's just a prominent image in um, in the New Testament that looking back to God's Word, it's hard to kind of ignore that so why why would i it's kind of how i tend to think about it so reading about the intimacy of this relationship is the thing maybe that stands out to me the most and the way that um you could just say that this uh the lover and the beloved delight in each other right you know they kind of just like the the idea that they could just stare at each other and describe each other and their beauty to to, to each other for so long yeah uh, Verse four starts or chapter four starts. How beautiful are you, my darling? Oh, how beautiful. And, uh, you know, you could think of, I don't know, if you remember when you were falling in love with your wife, talking to her like that or being, you know, being told nice things like that over and over. It was just kind of incredible intimacy. But there's also a, a certain sort of, um, it would say, maybe a way to say it would be an excited intimacy. Yeah. It's like a new love. But right uh but you don't get the sense that it's going to to fade either you know yeah
0: that is interesting that you mentioned that cuz you you were talking about a new love um because mm-hmm. in this life you know in this this broken and fallen world like you know that's what it, it gets people excited is like you know when you, you have those butterflies in your stomach and it's it's kind of like that new you you know you're you're trying to figure out oh does this person like me do, do they not you know and i remember experiencing those situations and, and having those kinds of stories to, to tell. Um, I remember uh, the first times that that Aaron and I got together and um, we were like, okay, you know, are we going to date or are we going to not? You know, when we were carving pumpkins together, when we technically weren't dating at that time. And I just remember those feelings and it's that initial mm-hmm. feeling of new love. But I like that you mentioned that you don't get the idea that it ever dies or fades, fades away because a lot of times we call that like you know we, we might say oh that's infatuation or we yeah. try to decipher between infatuation and and lust and um and and true uh, love and faithfulness and actually it's just like here it's like all all that intimate excitement and love is just combined together but it also has a a um a strong and everlasting faithfulness to it, um, and yep. and and the thing that really stood out to me was the um, I guess exclusivity of their love for one another. Is, yeah, I they, was going uh, to go gonna, ahead.
1: That is so prominent, uh, uh, Alex. And I was going to say that as you know, another kind of part of this, it's exclusive and it's uh, complete for each other. So verses two sixteen, five sixteen make the same point. In saying, my lover is mine and I am his, he browses among the lilies, right? And I think the browses among the lilies is more or less back to that kind of delight language. But he is mine and I am his, that's it, right? There's nobody else going on here and this is kind of a – it's binding in a sense, but it's really uh, – exclusive is a really good word for it. I only have eyes for him. She only has eyes for me.
0: Yeah, so – I, I also like in chapter two where he says you are like a lily among brambles uh, mm-hmm. you know like so the all the other women around there's lots of them but they're like thorns and you're like the lily that's in the middle of the thorns and that's mm-hmm. just a stark contrast of of how uh, set his heart and mind is on on being faithful to to his 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 wife to his lover and also um, his, his desire for her and her mm-hmm. alone. So, yeah. which, which reminds me of just Christ, you know, being s- super focused and, and super set on uh, his love and his desire for us, his people. Mm-hmm. And he um, did not let anything get in his way of redeeming us. He did not let anything get in the way of um, just expressing his love for us so
1: yeah it highlights as well alex the the sovereignty of god in that um you might say like maybe you thought this i'm sure you did when aaron was falling in love with you why me why why am i the one who gets to have you know this (laughs) this awesome person right i know i thought it all the time and i still think it uh, I can't believe she keeps choosing me, you know, day after day. And of course we looking into the eyes of our God or looking into the eyes of Christ as our, as our, as our groom, as our lover, it's not hard for us to say, yes, this is the one for me, but to wonder why do I, why am I so blessed to be the one you've chosen, you know, mm. is um, something that I think is accentuated here in, in a sense that if if you think about this, we'll just start back up a little, think about if this was, if this is Solomon writing to, to, one of his lovers, right? Uh, Solomon had a lot of them, we know. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> at this time,
0: if, if, he was monogamous, though, or yeah, at least well, in his heart, I guess.
1: Well, so the thing is, uh, either way, he's writing to a very special person with whom yeah. he's at a very... A very uh special relationship, so even if he's not exclusive, which is you know troubling and hard for us in a different conversation, maybe he's not this is a very special one. there's something different about this yeah. one right and so if you take that uh kind of that image or that idea or that metaphor, and then you think about uh, the people of God, the Israelites among the nations, right all nations are created by our God, he's mm-hmm. sovereign among, over all of them, and yet for some reason he's chosen this one. To, yeah. to be his 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 beloved. Uh his his true beloved. We know that that's a sovereignty of God situation, you know. We know that that's not always something that gives us answers that we love. Why is it that he chose the Israelites over the others? Don't know. Um but I know he did. And when he gazes upon them, uh he uh sees his his most beloved in that sense.
0: Yeah, and just to piggyback off of what you're saying there too, Right at the beginning of the book, you know, in, in verse five, in chapter one, she says, I am very dark, but lovely. And I did look into this a little bit. I was like, what in the world is happening? What is she talking about? Um, so what I looked into, what I found, and a, by the way, a study Bible is is really helpful for a book oh, yeah. like <laughs> Song of Solomon. So I would highly yeah. recommend Getting a study Bible, uh, looking a couple things up, which is exactly what I did. This is where we get our information from. So, just a little study tip study Bibles, cool thing. Uh, so, what I found was actually that people in those days who were workers, who were uh, laborers of the field, were darker than other people because they had, you know, a suntan. And so it was kind of this. Uh, it was it was thought of um, beauty was thought of of having you know, very fair or light skin and it, and it kind of signified your, your I guess your royalty or your class difference because somebody who had darker skin, who had more of a tan uh, was you knew that person was a laborer, a common person, a peasant in a way. And so I think maybe she's even wrestling with this experience of like, you know, why are you choosing me? There's all these women, you know, around. But yet, you know, to, to you, I am like the, the lily among the, the thorns. Like to you, mm-hmm. I am the Rose of Sharon, uh, you know, and Sharon was a really uh, significant place. It was a, a fertile place uh, with and there's a lot of flower, uh, flora and, and fauna kind of image Uh, in in this uh, book a lot of creation kind of imagery as well and and she's saying you know of all of the beauty and creation you've chosen me who Mm -hmm. typically in our society in our cultural context is not thought of as someone who would be sought after and i think that kind of emphasizes you know what you were saying is that you know we think you know we're not one to be sought after, or even the nation of Israel, which we are now the new Israel, uh, or part of the new Israel because of Christ. Um, We are not ones to be sought after, and yet Jesus sought after us. So, anyways, um, what was confusing as you read through this? Anything that gave you uh, any concern, or was just kind of, um, that you struggled with as you read through uh, these passages.
1: Um, uh, so, I mean, I guess going with the meta, I mean, it, Song of Solomon kind of, kind of throws us, a, uh, a, a, it's a, it's kind of a change up in the sense that it's not super dense language, it, 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 meaning, well, let me back up. It's pretty clear what's happening here, right? This is a very clear love letter, right? So yeah. you're not all that confused that often about what they're trying to say. Uh, what you might be confused about is how is it that those words they chose are meant to say, I love you. You know, in other <laughs> words, they, they just use idioms that make no sense. They use all kinds of metaphors that make no sense. This is what, when you recommend a study Bible, I don't know how you could do this without one, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a example, I don't remember where it is, but uh, we'll just, elephant in the room. There's a lot of describing of the bodies of, you know, the lover and the beloved. And uh, I had to read the note when, when the, when the lover refers to the breasts of his beloved as fawns, what is he even talking about there? <laughs> Why did he say that that way? What does he mean by it? And uh, I'll spare you the details, but it, you know, like that's the kind of study that you've got to do with this. So yeah. in, in that sense, it's not troubling as much as it. can be very confusing as you're kind of going through this, not understanding what you have to, you know, not understanding. What their references are very much, especially if you're not somebody who knows a lot about myth of Middle East and what their yeah plants yeah. and animals and uh, you know daily yeah. life were like, Sick. it can be super confusing. And I you know I have to think um, if you were to try out some of these lines on your wife, uh, Alex, <laughs> she would probably be very confused. Uh, hey baby, and, uh, your teeth yeah, are like
0: right. the flocks of ewes.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, hey. That's uh, that's right. Hey girl. Or, uh,
0: your cheeks are like the halves of pomegranate.
1: Uh, yeah, you should try those out. I, um, I should. It, or even, like, you know, one of the idioms that comes up here, one of the things that comes out a few times is they refer to each other as sister and brother.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Which was, which was like, intentional kind of language chosen because lovers would have maybe referred to themselves that way at the time. But uh, you try that one. See how it goes. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, that does point us back to the – the the kind of incredible nature of christ being our groom and our brother as well as our savior so even that is kind of awesome yeah yeah Yeah. i would just say the language it takes so even though we've studied hebrew you know uh and try to keep up with it it doesn't mean that you understand the idioms very well and so that takes some work
0: right yeah no i would i would say the same thing is just kind of the the i guess the the poetic language that they use is very, is it, in their cultural context, makes sense to them. And ours, we're like, what? Um, so, yes, uh, definitely would want to look that up. But I do think that the point uh, can be, you know, grasped pretty well in, in that, you know, they are expressing their love and desire for one another, and um just talking about their beauty. Uh, one thing that I found a little confusing was okay, is this you know, and this is wrestled with among scholars is is this Solomon writing is this written to Solomon? I think at one point um, in chapter 8 at 11 through through 12 it kind of mentions how Solomon has this vineyard and he he's had lots of, um, you know, women in his life. And, and so is it, is it, is it like two lovers where the guy is saying, I'm not like Solomon, you know, I'm better than Solomon. I'm, I choose Mm -hmm. only you and Solomon chosen all these people and I'm not like Solomon at all. And, and Mm -hmm. I've only chosen you, my love. Is that what's going on here? Or, you know, I think that's a confusing part to me. I don't know if it's as really that important to, to really know for sure, but it was a little bit confusing uh, for me. But the ESV yep. Bible at least uh, helps us a little bit in giving us subtitles of she and he and others to signify who is talking um, at those different times. So yep. anything uh, that just gives you hope in reading through this book?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's uh, just looking at, I think I've just picked out a verse that I thought was like home base for hope here. Um, and that's back to you know, kind of the idea I, I said before, where he is mine and I am his, mm-hmm. you know, that language, exclusivity, but also that there's the idea that, that this is always going to be that way. So verse ch- uh, chapter seven, verse 10 says, I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. And, um, the, the idea that the God who made the universe, the God who spoke it into existence, the God who placed, uh, humans made in his image in the garden, the God who made a promise the day they fought, they failed that he would crush the one who, uh, the one who had, uh, hurt them in this way. The one who continues to hurt us, that God has a desire for, for you. I mean, it's such an incredible idea. Um, that's, of course, the hope that we that we have, that there's a God whose desire is for us and who has both won us and continues to win us and will win us in t- in, for eternity uh, at the return of our Lord is an incredible thing. And I think present within the words of even this book in the promise that we're given, being told that we're the bridegroom of Christ, that yeah. He's our
0: bridegroom. Awesome. Yeah, actually, uh, I thought of a couple of, Songs, me being a musical guy, this is actually a song itself, and some speculate that this was um, even able to be sung as a song, Um, and uh, that verse that you mentioned, I am my beloved and his desire is for me, that kind of reminds me of of the song Blessed Assurance, you know, Blessed Assurance, (laughs) Jesus is mine. Um, you know, because of what he's done for me, he is, he, he is mine. And, you know, and I belong to him. Uh, Verse seven of chapter four, you're altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. If we Mm -hmm. think about Jesus in that way, um, uh, being, you know, perfect uh, that reminds me of here I am to worship altogether, lovely altogether, worthy altogether, wonderful for me. Um, a couple ones um, his banner over me is love chapter 2 verse 4 and his banner over me was love if you remember back to the day uh, at least when I was a kid we used the all God's people sing hymnal for our chapel in Lutheran school and there was a song called his banner over me is love his yeah, banner right. over me is love Anyway, he is the
1: vine and we are the branches, right? Yes, is that how it
0: started. I don't know. Uh,
1: I think that he is the vine and we are the branches. His banner over me is love. At least yes. that's how I learned it in Spanish. Oh Espanol. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Su yes. Bandera, he so is the me a vine more.
0: and we are the branches. His banner over me is love. Oh.
1: Oh man, that that one's going right to the top of the charts, Alex.
0: <laughs> yes, it is.
1: I was just wondering, do you think that if you were to make a recording of this book, you'd have to have a parental advisory on it?
0: Actually... I don't want to explain everything. (laughs) I don't want to explain everything. Oh, um, you could. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you would do that. Um, Maybe. That's a good question. But that reminds me that there was a movie that i actually really like i'm i'm very cautious and wary of christian movies because sometimes they tend to sacrifice their budget and <laughs> their production and quality theology. and their theology <laughs> oh no and their theology and their production quality and so it just doesn't sit well with me honestly However, there is a movie that I thought did a pretty good job. It's called The Song. And it's a modern retelling of of Solomon and his life, so it incorporates in the it kind of has it's kind of like a it's sort of like a musical. It's basically a movie with a soundtrack where the songs are kind of included into the movie, not like in that typical musical kind of way, but um, how do I describe this? So, basically, in the movie The Song, the son Solomon is the son of this really famous uh country singer star named David King, and uh, he is the son is trying to like get his career up and moving, you know, and so he plays at this one farm and he has this gig and then he meets the farmer's daughter and they fall in love and that kind of thing. And so the soundtrack of that movie is actually really good. And I think really biblical um, and the main song of the movie, the song in their soundtrack is called the song. And so it starts off really slow. You know, he's singing to his lover and then the main um, phrase and refrain of that song is awaken love awaken love and he talks about love is stronger than death so um, mm-hmm. and there's even some there's some proverb language there's some ecclesiastical language i think at the end of the movie he says now here is the end of the matter which is the language at the end of ecclesiastes so it's check it out it's very b- biblical it's called the Song, and it's a modern retelling of the book of of the life of Solomon. Actually, um, that so, uh, that
1: line there, Alex, is um, I mean, it's probably from the end of this chapter eight, uh, verse. Let's see, where is that? Verse six.
0: Um, yes. Yes.
1: Place place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Exactly. It's it's jealousy as unyielding as the grave, and of course that image of jealousy. We have yeah. a jealous God, right? Who is right um and um so this reminds us of the book of hosea and that whole jealous story i don't know if you're there probably aren't there yet in your reading plan but uh that's the promise for the future the thing that gives us hope is we have a god who's jealous for us
0: yeah i know i agree and and that's actually my favorite um those are my favorite verses in the book of song of songs which was actually read at my wedding and uh i uh, was also It was also read at my uh, buddy Todd's wedding, uh, and we are both best men for one another. So um, just, re, just remembering that love is—I is, is, like the translation in the NIV a little bit better because it says love is stronger than death, and jealousy is as fierce as the grave. It just reminds us that God is jealous for us. He'll do anything to get us back and claim us back as his own. Uh, Because we've been whisked away by the the brokenness of sin and he's he's coming back with fierce, uh, with reckless abandon. He is going to come and do whatever it takes to get us back. And his love is so strong for us that even the grave cannot stop him. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, um, anyways, that is the, the verse that gives me great hope and uh, also a shameless plug in for a Christian movie that I actually think is good. Um, but if you were to try to make some kind of album out of this, good luck. <laughs> there you go. Um, but anyways, let's um, transfer real quickly uh, before we go on a break. Uh, we've been having some good conversations here. Let's transfer real quickly to Proverbs. And uh, we have Proverbs 1 and 2 to to capture, but we'll just kind of fly through them real quick. I'll give a summary of what the book of Proverbs is all about, and we'll probably um, reiterate that in our next episode as well. So Proverbs is basically a collection of practical wisdom for living one's life, and While a lot of the Proverbs are written by Solomon, there's other authors that go into, um, that have contributed to writing the book of Proverbs. And the important thing that I would emphasize uh, with Proverbs is that they are not prophecies. They are Proverbs. They are not guarantees. They are just practical advice that is typically found to be good and helpful for Living life. Um, so, what stood out to you, Sam, in reading Proverbs one through two? Oh
1: uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess uh, it's funny because I don't generally read proverbs. I, at the same time, I'm studying Song of Song of Songs, right? So I'm, the first thing I notice is, wow! In the same way that we got this awesome image of uh, the intimacy and the delight between a husband and a wife, in in this last book we talked about here, in, at least in these two chapters and in, in much of this book, we get um, another relationship, familial relationship, to to use as a metaphor, and that is between the father and the son, right? And um, so it stands out because it's it, it's an almost, not not the same intimacy, but it's an equally intimate sort of idea that's happening here. Um, but also just it's always a good thing when we get I, I, at least I like it when you get kind of clear just statements to, to do stuff with. So there's you don't have to work too hard to, to interpret them. Yeah. Look at verse verse two of chapter one for attaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words and insight. Uh, that's why this is written for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words and insight. One of the ways I like to teach my people to think of discipleship is that a disciple is one who learns and adheres. A disciple is one who learns from someone and adheres to what they're learning, right? Yep. So um, they, they they figure out what they're saying and then they go do it. And, and so that's a that's a New Testament. Uh, uh, interpretation of the Greek for disciple, but it works so perfectly here with chapter one, verse two of Proverbs for attaining wisdom and discipline for understanding words and insight. So we learn what to do and then we go do it is kind of the idea. And uh, so I appreciate, and it stands out to me right away to kind of how clear that is and in a sense, how simple that is, you know, as, as if it was simple to do.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and then, so along with that, then if the, at the end of that first section, Verse 7, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So we know that at at the very least, that's the playing field that we're on. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about here in this
0: book. So I do have a question for you. Uh, Let's talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about the fear of the Lord. That phrase, I still wrestle with it even to this day, even though I've been instructed in confirmation and they've explained fear of the Lord is like a respect for the Lord. How do you understand like fear of the Lord? Like, what does that mean? Especially nowadays, like it's been a while since I've been in confirmation. It's been a while since you've been in confirmation. It's been a long time since you've been in confirmation, you old man. Wow. But, um, wow. Yeah, I know. Um, but, how would you explain the fear of the Lord um, to people? Let's talk about that a little bit so that we can at least understand that phrase.
1: Yeah. So, you know, for, for Christians or for Lutheran Christians, um, the the place we like to go when we're talking about the fear of the Lord is in Luther's large catechism. Uh, he, He explains in, the, in his explanation of the first commandment, he kind of gets into this idea about the fear of the Lord and what that should be for us, what it should look like for us, um, what it means to have other gods. Because more or less, when we talk about fearing God, he's he's putting it like you know across from or against the idea of fearing something else. Does, mm-hmm. that, does that make sense? So, um, and and the way he kind of gets to saying it is kind of like the thing you fear is the thing, and maybe once there, the thing you have faith in, let's start there, is the yeah. thing that you wake up thinking about. <laughs> the okay. thing you go to, de- go to bed thinking about, you know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that is just winning in your mind. It's winning in your heart yeah. even, very often. Yeah. So it's not a question very much about whether or not you're fearing in this in this sense. It's a, it's a question about who or what you are fearing. Okay. Uh, and so when I do, as we talk about fearing the Lord here, um, we try to get rid of well, we try to start without the negative connotation, which okay. is that fear is bad, right. um, and we start to replace it with kind of this intense um, the idea of it being the thing that in which we put our faith is that which we fear,
0: yeah, Does that makes sense, yeah, well, I like what you were talking about, like what what you go to bed thinking about what you wake up, thinking about what's what's um at least ruling in your mind, what's winning in your mind and your heart at the moment, because like I personally struggle with anxiety. So like I might be anxious about something and then that fear or anxiety is like ruminating in my mind. And so that's the thing that I'm focused on. And so I think that, you know, or if I go home, you know, I'm like, okay, it's time to be home. I need to be focused on you know, being here, being present with my family, being here in the moment. And so I think mm-hmm. I, I guess that part was helpful for me in thinking about like what is winning in my mind. Am I am I focusing on God or am I focusing on something else? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and 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 letting something else, the concern about something else in my life take over my ultimate concern and trust and thinking about god so Mm that's kind of the way you explained it that's kind of what it it sort of invoked in me and and helped me understand that a little bit more because a lot of times people think of you know fear oh fear is a bad thing um and then we always you know in confirmation it kind of in our small catechism i think it explains it as like a healthy respect Uh, but i think that's hard for people to understand well, so
1: just one other thing while we're getting nerdy here, and I, I think that you're, you're <laughs> on the right you're, – you're exactly where this
0: needs to be. But
1: uh, the Reformers um, in the Augsburg Confession, which for those of you who don't know, I didn't really know until I was in the seminary what, what the heck that thing Same was. Same here. It's, it's an important piece of paper. Uh, it's it's uh, an important
0: it's, piece it's, of paper. It's, it's uh, not like some, we made the, an oath on it or anything.
1: No, no 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 it's a it's but it's part you know it's a major <laughs> document in our confessions uh it's uh it's a major document in our confessions when you when alex stood in front of, you, of uh your church down there i stood in front of my church at our installation we said this is what we subscribe to this is true so in the augsburg confession anyway they, they have this discussion of filial fear versus servile fear um or serv- I think it'd be servile, not servile. It could be servile. I don't know. Anyway, filial fear is when you have anxiety that is met with faith,
0: hmm.
1: right? Anxiousness or real fear that is met, joined with faith. Whereas serv- servile fear is uh, is when more or less you are a servant to your fear. And, it, mm. and it's what wins. Right. So uh, and it doesn't sustain an anxious heart is what is what the Augsburg Confession says. It That fear will never sustain an anxious heart. So uh, as an example, since we're on this on this road in the uh, in the Old Testament, you have these these times when particularly like the Philistines seem yeah. to they recognize that God is real and that he's pretty important. Um, but they don't meet that with faith. Right. So. But they never say, okay, then he must be the one true Lord, right? So mm. they have this real fear of him. In fact, they steal the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. At one point, and they and he basically some like stuff goes down where they get real scared, and they just give it back <laughs> uh, <laughs> instead of saying maybe we should worship this God, you know, yeah. instead of yeah. instead of meeting that. So they basically just have that servile or servile. Uh, fear that it does not it can't sustain their anxious hearts it can't do anything for them. It's just fear, but fear that that is filial met with faith is what we're it's a gift to us because we we're able to acknowledge God in his um in his sovereignty in his power and his strength, and we're able to say, I have faith in that god
0: mm-hmm. is in my fear yep cool yeah no that that makes even more sense to me and i think that's helpful to explain that even though we we got a little nerdy at a moment or two but that's all good and and this just goes to show that sam studied a lot harder than i did in seminary um i was i was hoping you would laugh like really hard at that
1: well you know you've always been good at spewing truth the way you do
0: All right. Well, anyways, let's wrap up Proverbs here. I think the biggest thing, uh, biggest recommendation, I said it before, when you look at Proverbs, just remember these are wise sayings that are true that are generally true for and helpful for living your life. They're not prophecies or guarantees because one of the biggest proverbs or most famous proverbs I think about is train up your child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. And sometimes parents are thinking, well, I did. And then they still departed from it. Well, your child is still responsible for their own actions too. So there's, they're can sometimes be exceptions to that, but this is, um, godly wisdom being given to people to put into action in their lives. And, uh, the important thing to remember is that we still live in a sinful and broken world. So you may still do the faithful thing and it may still end up not working out. Here's the thing though. Jesus, Jesus is Lord. He's gonna restore all things, but but that's my recommendation and caution in reading the book of Proverbs is to not think that this is going to like you apply this and then everything's gonna work out perfectly. It just God, it's godly wisdom, sacred, inspired, godly wisdom that is given and that is helpful for living the Christian life. Mm-hmm. So, Amen. All right. Um
1: Wait, before you go into to yes. the, uh, just one last thing about what stands out in this. There's okay. This awesome part at the beginning of verse chapter two, verse one, uh, where he, uh, he says, "My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, uh, turning your ear." And he, he goes on, but that that idea of storing up the commands within us is an awesome uh, idea about what we ought to do with proverbs, because as you say, these are truths. This is these are. These, these are basically, as the as the young kids would say today, truth bombs that are being <laughs> dropped over and over in this thing. That doesn't mean they always look, it always turns out the way we think it should,
0: right? right?
1: Um, that's because we don't have – we have a pea-sized understanding of, you know, what truth actually means. But the idea of storing up the commands of God, mm-hmm. which basically means his word within you, um, it's so pro- prominent throughout the, the scriptures, Psalm chapter 1, you know. Uh, blessed is the man who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That that whole thing is uh, what we. That's the lens through which we should read the book of Proverbs. Yeah. Let me store up the commands of God within me, and uh, then they become that which gives us understanding.
0: Yeah. And I and verse seven really gives me hope about that. Or at verse yeah. six and verse seven of chapter two, for the Lord gives wisdom; from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So Proverbs is is a book that's you know guiding us to walk in integrity, to store up the commands of God, and the ultimate hope is that God promises to um, be a shield for for us as we we strive to walk in integrity, as we strive to follow Jesus, and we know that no matter what happens, that Jesus remains faithful. Amen. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we will be right back. Hey, welcome back to Grow Up and Talk. We have had a lot of good discussion today. And uh, Sam, thank you so much for all the insight and wisdom that you brought into Mm -hmm. my life personally, um, which actually isn't much now that I think about it. I'm just kidding. But
1: I mean, look where it got us. (laughs)
0: Look where it got us. Uh, Anyways, uh, really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, Our our big question at the end, which has a lot to do with application. Um, how does this have importance to our lives as Christians today?
1: Okay. So, uh, you know, how, to, how how does this, so I'm going to, I'm going to focus on Song of Solomon okay. or Song of Song of Songs. I think that's, it's kind of where my head is. We spent more time on that. And it's a lot more there. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know about you, but, I don't always feel like a, a beloved member of society. <laughs> uh, I don't you know both as an individual uh, no I was, I was just complaining this morning about how <laughs> I read all of these different ideas it, uh, you know political ideas and things like this and uh, you know news articles and tweets and Facebook posts and I always think like does anybody <laughs> think like I do? am I it literally really the only person? you up? yeah right that's right am i the (laughs) only person who think like they talk about an echo chamber i would kill for an echo chamber where i could feel like there's other people who who thought like i do anyway so you just like you don't always feel the most beloved in culture um
0: yeah
1: especially especially if if you're trying to learn and adhere to what jesus teaches Mm. which is some pretty intense stuff turn the other cheek right uh trust uh that god has put authorities over you and that means something trust that it, if you lay your life down for your neighbor, you're following what Jesus has for you, right? Or um, the, the book of 1 uh, Corinthians talks about how if somebody wrongs you, it's basically like chapter 6, what's the big deal? So so you got wronged a little bit, you know, is kind of what it says, <laughs> which is not how we think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but that's what Jesus is calling us to. And so we're, we're preaching or speaking or believing this radically different sort of idea. And so uh the the application is that if you are following jesus there's a really good chance that you're going to be persecuted jesus talks that way when blessed are you when they persecute you he says uh if you follow jesus there's going to be a really good chance that people are going to hate your words there's going to be a really this doesn't mean we go pick fights i don't mean that i just mean this is offensive to the world because the world is in sin as we are of course as well but Christ Jesus has a a message that's contrary to that kind of sinful, uh, world. So, uh, it's, if that can be pretty depressing to know that you just are never going to be, you're just never going to be able to go with the flow, right. Um, except for, we have a promise here in the song of songs promise here that says that even when the world persecutes you, even when the world kind of moves past your religion, which has happened for us in the United States in a lot of ways, even when the world uh, believes that you have an archaic out- of-date foolish way of thinking. There is a God who looks at you as his beloved possession as his beloved as his lover the, the one that he could stare at and describe and uh, just delight in for, for for days on end right uh, That's for me the best first application. And it's also just important for us in a time like this when the church has been tested, tried a little bit, you know, I don't know about where you where you guys are uh, with with the coronavirus, but we're kind of bracing for the possibility that this winter, the church might not be able to meet very Mm -hmm. much again, you know, and um, it gives me great fear. Oh, no. Who will we lose? Oh, no. Will we ever recover? And the answer is we are his and Mm -hmm. he is ours. You know, and that means we have hope.
0: Amen, brother. Preach it. Preach it. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, right?
1: Yep, that's right. Wonderful to to me, he says. And uh <laughs> that's good. It's kinda of, it's a little bit like uh when the kids at school make fun of you and they're like, You know you, you know you're ugly, right? And then your mom and you're like, My mom says I'm not uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> But this is this is the world saying, uh, you know you're dumb, right? Like that's not true and uh you, you gotta get with the times and you're like, Jesus says that I'm that I'm cool. He loves me.
0: Well, thanks. I'm glad that Jesus loved me even though you don't. I love you. I know I'm just kidding. So um, much. I know you do. I know you do. Um thank you so much, but I but I do appreciate your um application of Song of Songs and just reminding us that our identity is in 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 God and his delight in us. So listener, God delights in you. You are his beloved. I think if I were to take something away from Proverbs, at least the first two chapters, is just the reminder that there's a lot of wisdom out there. Um, And perhaps as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I I do think of the Bible verse that says, Be slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick Mm -hmm. to listen. Um, And so I think that there's a lot of people who are worth listening to you might not agree with everything that they have to say, but I do think that the posture of the Jesus follower is one of listening first and foremost um, before speaking. And yep. I, I do think that the father is imploring the son at the beginning of Proverbs to first listen before he speaks, before he acts, before he does. Um, and so I think that posture of humility and listening is even Jesus did that, even though he knew everything. Um, I think that's the posture that he calls us to, uh, as yep. we seek to follow him in in the world that communicates a lot of different messages about who we are. Um, in the mm-hmm. world where we struggle to uh, remember what God uh, thinks of us and that we matter to Him first and foremost. So,
1: yeah. Sometimes uh, listening. Is the thing that you know, you listening uh, both first, but also thoroughly is, a, is yeah, maybe you know like another yeah. big part of this because sometimes you listen a little bit and you're like, hey, this is pretty good, and then you listen a little more and you're like, this is kind of wacky. I'm not <laughs> sure that's what I think. Uh, it, yeah, but you know that's why we have uh, the Word of God to guide us.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, definitely true. Yeah. All right, Sam. Uh, we've been focused for a long time now, so now it's time to uh, decompress a little bit with our random question that we always ask our guest on the show, and so my random question for you today is a political one. Now, it's not what you might think it is, but here's my question. If you could elect any fictional character as the President of the United States, which Character, would you pick
1: any fictional character? Any fictional character? Okay, there's this book called A Confederacy of Dunces. Oh, no, um, seriously? Yeah, do you know that book?
0: No, I don't know that book.
1: Oh, do you want me to say Iron Man?
0: <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> Iron Man. No, wait, you are a uh, let me think, I'm trying to remember what you captain america is that your guy
0: that's my guy that's my guy man yeah <laughs> all right.
1: okay captain america is captain what i america.
0: say no continue please
1: all right but this is... <laughs> no i don't feel like my answer is going to be respected but uh i respect there's... you sam there's this book called The Confederacy of Denses, which I am not recommending to your listenership
0: oh, um, because
1: okay. it's, not, it's not for everybody. It, but I quite liked it. It won the Pulitzer Prize in, I think, 1984, which is a pretty big deal. Um, and uh, it is about this kind of like uh, really funny kind of buffoon of a dude who uh, who travels all around the city of New Orleans. His name is Ignatius J. Riley. And uh, I think things would be pretty interesting if he was president for a little while. You know, one thing that would help us do is we would we could we would stop putting our trust in men if he was our president. <laughs> I promise you that no one would be at that point. I just think it'd be a lot more interesting than 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 uh, Iron Man.
0: Fine. Fine. OK. Ignatius D. Riley. Is that what it is?
1: J-, J. Riley. Oh, OK. Ignatius yeah. Riley. all right
0: um hmm who would i have as president fictional character um i think that i would have mike wazowski for president of the united states for monsters for monsters Monsters, incorporated yes Uh, From the Pixar Disney Pixar movie Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University, if you've seen both of them, Mike Wazowski, the little green monster with one eye, who turns the scare company into a laughing company. Uh, Sorry to ruin Monsters, Inc. for you, but that's what happens. Spoiler (laughs) alert.
1: I think that we've passed the statute of limitations on that one. (laughs) <laughs> you you either seen it or you're not gonna see it. Well, now and now you don't even need to see it now that Alex has ruined it for you.
0: So there you go. You're welcome. Uh, no,
1: that's a good one. He's also a fiercely loyal friend.
0: Yes. Uh, yes.
1: We went we went very different routes. Um, we did. I thought since it, since it was a hypothetical, I could imagine anything I wanted.
0: <laughs> Do you have somebody else you would like to elect as well? Well, you just were. No, okay. I would elect you as President, Sam.
1: Are you calling me a fictional character?
0: Well, you are a figment of my imagination. This is an illusion <laughs> all right anyways we've we've probably lost our all of our listeners by now, but um, if you've been Gosh, listening I would hope to this so. <laughs> If you've been listening to this podcast and you found it helpful and you want to ask us some questions or comments or say something and let us know, you can email that to growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening today, Sam. Thanks for joining us on the show, and we will talk with you next time.
1: Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it.
0: Bye, Sam.
1: Bye.